This is Paul Schneiderman today in the 138th edition of the Sports Untold podcast, also on Rainier Avenue Radio. My special guest today is a local Seattle, Washington State attorney, Conrad Reynoldson. Conrad is a Washington State attorney based in Seattle who practices law at the Washington Civil and Disability Advocate, WACDA, a nonprofit law firm that advocates for disability rights and accessibility for people in public spaces. Colin has worked on some specific issues involving sports entertainment facilities, which we will definitely talk about today. Conrad, I'll get back to you in a minute. My assistant and producer is Olivia Coyne. Go back to living in her family for a long time. Olivia is a University of Washington student, and she's doing a good job helping me with this podcast and helping with some law firm activities as well. My podcast is now on Spotify, YouTube, Amazon, Google, iTunes, Podbeam. You can go to sportsuntoldpodcast.net. I also have the website back, sportsuntoldpodcast.com. And I encourage my listeners to click on the like button regarding my show, comment, and you can uh, listen to my show on some of those said outlets. Another way just to find my show is just click Sports Untold YouTube and you should be able to find it. Uh, as mentioned, Conrad is a disability rights advocate attorney. Um, he has a fascinating story as one who was diagnosed with muscular dystrophy when he was three. And he's a, used a wheelchair since he's a young boy. He's now a successful attorney helping people in the area of uh, disability rights issues. I look forward to getting uh, Conrad's take on a whole variety of disability rights issues that can come up and some that can come up in the sports world. Uh, Conrad is a honors graduate at Seattle Pacific University, a University of Washington Law School graduate. Uh, Conrad, I appreciate coming on the 138th edition of the Sports Untold podcast, also on Radio of Radio, that we can have a very important topic, discussion on an important topic. Thank you for inviting me. Absolutely. Well, Connor, I want to learn a little more about your background. Um, why don't you tell us about your journey and how you became an attorney and tell us about how you developed such an interest in dif- disability rights issues, including some that involve uh, sports facilities. Sure. And I think it's kind of a confluence of multiple, uh, multiple reasons. I have always been, you know, a big sports fan. And so I think that combined with really wanting to make things better for the disability community have come together. And um, it was a process for me. I'm not one of those people who always knew they wanted to be an attorney. However, um, at my age, I've had an interest in government and history and looking at how we uh, use law to make things better for various communities. And so after I graduated from Seattle Pacific University, and actually during as well, I had several experiences in the other Washington and interned for um, a senator as well as at a think tank and then a law firm as well. And through that process, I really realized that if I'm going to make a significant impact for the disability community, I need a more advanced education. And so I looked at, you know, master's in public policy, as well as law degrees. And conclusion would be the most effective way to advocate for the disability community. And kind of went through law school with an eye towards that 
and also had um, internships with Disability Rights Washington, for example. And that gave me exposure to a number of different areas within disability rights. And so made it through law school, passed the bar exam on the first, first go round, and um, was applying for various jobs as uh, an attorney. And I won't go into the details, but uh, unfortunately, not once but twice, faced pretty obvious uh, employment discrimination because of my disability. So then it was a realization for me that, fortunately, even now, or three years after the AA, someone with a significant disability can still face employment discrimination, uh, no matter how talented or experienced they might be. And so I think that was a realization for me that while laws like the ADA are good, if education and enforcement is, in, is lacking, these things can still happen. And so I started learning about the ADA networking and um, figuring out how I could make a positive difference with these issues. And so one thing led to another, all of these physical accessibility issues and seeing countless public places, especially places like sports venues that I go to all the time, were not even close to compliant and that it was pretty much everywhere. And so I started taking cases, first one against uh, my alma mater, UW involving a HECED pavilion and kind of went from there. And within a couple of years of doing that, ended up forming this nonprofit. Great, great. Well, thanks for sharing your background. You know, I'm, I'm gonna to talk to you about some of your cases you've worked on in a minute. We're gonna have a, we're gonna get into a lot of interesting topics today. But you, you know, I believe I looked at your resume or your, your biography and you worked, I believe, for Congressman Dave Reichert, who's now running for governor. Can you mm -hmm. tell us a little bit about uh, Dave Reichert? What kind of governor do you think he would be? Uh, well, so that was an undergrad internship way back in 2008. And so I was in his district office, so doing a lot of kind of constituent relations. And um, as far as personal character goes, I can't speak highly enough of him. And I think what really set him apart, as well as some of the other legislators I've interned with, is that they really treat everyone in their office like a person, which is not always the case. And unfortunately, quite a few legislators have an inflated opinion of themselves and don't treat everyone they work with with dignity and respect. And so what I really appreciated with Congressman Reichert was that it didn't matter who you were, he treated you um, the same regardless. A good experience with, with, with uh, Reichert. What kind of governor do you think he would be? Uh, well, I mean, I'm, I can't say for sure. 
uh, one way or another, but I think based on that personal character and also, you know, he seems like a moderate who can get things done um, that, you know, I, I would be happy with him. Ask you something, you know, you work on the plaintiff side in, in these kind of civil rights disability cases. And I work on the plaintiff side frequently in, in my practice. I've had some of your kind of cases, but not nearly the extent of, of, of uh, disability rights cases that you've had. And many plaintiff lawyer associations look at the legislative records of different legislators at the federal and state levels. And there are some exceptions, but they tend to find that Democrats tend to have voting records that are more are more favorable to plaintiff's side people on civil justice issues like disability rights and injury claims. What, what is your take on the Republican Party's general position on, on uh, disability mm. rights and civil rights type issues? Uh, well, I think, you know, part of it depends on, you know, which legislator we're talking about, of course. And we've had allies in um, the Washington state legislature from both parties. Whether, you know, on the left, you have someone like um, Representative Daria Farivar, and we work with her quite a bit, or on the right, someone like uh, Senator Mike Patton. And so, you know, we try to really emphasize that, you know, regardless of how it plays out, um, disability rights shouldn't be a partisan issue. Because if we look at the ADA when it was passed, it was with pretty broad bipartisan support and a Republican president who signed it. And so it'd be nice if we got got back to more of that, for sure. Um, But I will say it's more common that we would find uh, someone in the Democratic Party who's supportive of accessibility than in the Republican Party. Gotcha. I was just kind of curious with your background, your thoughts on, on some of those issues. You know, you mentioned the University of Washington case you worked on. I, I think it involved the Bank of America Arena, formerly known as Heck Ed Arena. Actually, I think Heck Hegmanson is still in the arena name, but why don't you tell us about that case? Sure. And, um, I can't necessarily go into every detail in these cases, but generally speaking, some of the issues that have been involved that we've dealt with there have to do with the number of accessible seats and making sure there's enough and dealing with um, the accessible parking that's in the parking lots around there and making sure that the ramps to get in and out are compliant And then something that stood out there that we've dealt with in a number of arenas has to do with the pricing of accessible seating. So what a lot of venues will do is have the accessible seating towards the front and it's in more expensive sections, but it's not in the less expensive sections. And a lot of venues don't prorate the pricing to account for that. So we made sure that they actually represented all the price ranges in the accessible. Was there a settlement of that case you had against University of Washington? 
Uh, yeah, we've had a couple settlements uh, involving that venue. Okay. And, and you feel the access has improved for citizens that, that need more access and better access at, uh, at the, the stadium and at the arena at the University of Washington? Uh, yes, it's definitely much better. Is there still room for improvement in both? Yeah, I'd say there's always room for improvement, but we're not not actively doing anything with that one. Okay, and, and I know you're you were involved in a case. I think you're still involved. It's now in the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals, I believe. Correct me if I'm wrong. You, you're working on a case involving uh, T-Mobile Park access issues at the Mariners Stadium. Wait, tell us about that case. Sure. Yeah, and that one started back in 2018, so quite a while ago, and involved a whole range of accessibility issues throughout the stadium. Everything from uh, like concessions accessibility, making sure that the restrooms were compliant and accessible, making sure that like the accessible routes and getting around the stadium was compliant, making sure that some of the elevators and lifts that they have are compliant and safe. And dealing with dimensions of accessible seating, it was a whole range of issues. And then kind of what we had to end up appealing had to do with the sight lines from the accessible seats to the field. And then also the pricing and distribution of the accessible seating. Because right now, on the 100 level, for example, all of the accessible seating, except in the Diamond Club, is in the back row. Under an overhang with an inferior view, you can't see nearly as much. And so your only alternative to that is to pay Diamond Club level prices if you want to be closer. Whereas everyone else has the whole range of seating options between those two. And, and so you're waiting for the Ninth Circuit to make a decision on, on some more of these issues involving T-Mobile access? So yeah. we actually did get a favorable decision at the Ninth Circuit, and they sent it back down to the district court judge. And then the district court judge, uh, unfortunately, ruled against us a second time. And um, wrote that decision in a way that would have made it uh, very difficult to appeal. So what's the result right now of the case? So those last few issues I just highlighted, um, you know, are not currently being resolved. That involves the better 100-level seating for disabled citizens? Is that one of the issues? Right. And so, better bathroom access? Uh, so all the other issues that I mentioned and more were resolved with the settlement. But so it's, it was really just down to the sight lines, distribution, and pricing. Okay, okay. And I'll, I'll share this with you. I have a good friend who, who has a disability, and he sits in the access seats. And I've noticed that there are some limitations in availability of some of those seats too. Right. Yeah. And then when something exciting happens and people stand up, you can't 
see. So right now that's an unresolved issue at, at T-Mobile. Right. Okay. So basically citizens that need access seats still have some, some barriers at T-Mobile Park. Mm-hmm. That is true. And and have the mayors taken any, any independent interest in correcting those issues? Not that we're aware of. And we would most likely be aware. Okay. Okay. So the case got remanded back to the district court judge and the judge kind of had his own interpretation again of how to how to implement it then the ninth of the ninth circuit yeah she decided it on um expert credibility grounds rather than maybe as substantive as we would have hoped okay who was who was a judge uh judge barbara rothstein okay okay she's been on the court for a long time interesting mm-hmm. interesting decision um so I guess, I guess there's still some unresolved issues at T-Mobile Park, it seems like. It seems like the UW has, has come a little farther in correcting some of their barriers, correct? I'd say so. And they tend to be taking more of a proactive approach with their sports facilities, I'd say. How is uh, Lumen Field, the Seahawks Stadium, with, with disability access issues? Uh, we actually have a good relationship with the Seahawks and um, are able to pretty much informally resolve things with them. And so they are one of the more accessible stadiums in the area, I would say. Interesting. But the Mariners have been a little more challenging. Right. Gotcha. You know, I would tell me if you agree with this. That, um, there was a Casey Martin case back in 2001 involved an American golfer who um, fought for the right to use a golf cart when he golfed. And the case got a lot of attention. Do you think that's the best known disability sports rights case in america and feel free to mention a couple other ones that stand out hmm well that's definitely one of the best known ones i would say for sure yeah i mean some of the other ones are um the olmstead decision for example Uh, although that didn't involve sports uh, but just as far as um very well-known disability cases uh, so people may have heard of that one. Uh, most of the sports ones that I know about are related to uh, assembly areas, for example, and the interpretation of, you know, what are the requirements for things like sight lines. But um, for better or worse, there have not been a lot of recent ones on those issues. I saw there there was a NASCAR case that involved sight line issues. Mm-hmm. It sounds sort of somewhat similar to your Mariners case, where some NASCAR fans were kind of limited in their views of of seeing the the stadium in full. Yeah, that, that's the decision we cited too in our case. Interesting, but you would say the Casey Martin case is definitely one of the best known American sports disability rights cases. I would say so, as far as sports ones go. Yeah, yeah. You know, the you mentioned the ADA. It was it was it was um President Bush forty one signed the bill to create the ADA in nineteen ninety. There's also the section five oh four of the Rehabilitation Act that I think President Nixon signed in nineteen seventy-three. Right. Do you think these these those those two laws have been kind of weakened by courts in some ways? Certainly in some ways. Uh I forget what year it was, but the Buchanan decision. Um eliminated the the catalyst theory as it applies to um, the ADA. 
And so what that means is that the way it was before was if there's say accessibility issues at a sports stadium and you sue and they end up making the changes to become compliant that they are still responsible for paying your attorney's fees. Whereas in the Buchanan decision, they eliminated the catalyst theory and instead found that you had to have a judgment on the merits in order to be entitled to fees. And so unfortunately, how that often plays out is it means venues try to race to fix the problem uh, rather than really focusing on settling and doing it right the first time. But instead, they just try to rush into it as fast as possible so that they don't have to pay for attorney's fees. Interesting. Little little legal talk for listeners when two lawyers are chit-chatting. Yeah. Right. yeah, but it kind of creates a perverse incentive and discourages settlement in a lot of ways. Interesting. Didn't know about that. Any thoughts on Climate Pledge Arena in Seattle? Is, is the uh, access seating pretty good? You know, I've been pretty impressed with them as well. Uh, they did hire an ADA consultant during the renovation. And so I think that made a big difference. And they have several individuals on staff uh, who have helped them become more compliant and accessible. So I think that really helps. I think they've done a pretty solid job so far then. Yeah, I've been pleasantly surprised. It's it's really nice arena and generally pretty accessible. Interesting they hired a specific ADA consultant. I didn't know that. It definitely makes a difference. And, you know, they didn't start out with violations like uh, with the pricing that I mentioned, that they already prorated it. Seems fair to me. Similarly situated uh, fans that you'd access shouldn't be stuck with with bigger prices. They want to pay bigger prices. like like Right. They didn't choose where you put the accessible seats. Yeah. Exactly. So I got a question for you. If Conrad Reynoldson, if you were asked to, to, to create an ideal stadium or arena that would hmm. be, that would have, that basically have 100% accessibility and fair pricing for disabled fans, what, what would you, what would be your ideal? What would be like your, your ideal arena or stadium? What would it, what would it, what would they involve? Well, it would, involve a number of things. So sight lines, for example, making sure that people with disabilities can see all of the field like everyone else. Uh, integrating universal design as much as possible. So it'd be things like ramps that everyone would take to get in rather than just for people in wheelchairs. Um, having enough elevators, having plenty of single-user bathrooms, um, making sure that accessible seating is represented in as many sections as possible, and giving, giving people with disabilities kind of the same range of choices and features. And, you know, also including things that are best in the law, like um, urging admissions caregivers if someone needs a caregiver with them. 
and we work with many different venues on that particular issue. And, and you think it, from a construction standpoint, it's entirely possible in building a basketball, hockey, football stadium, whatever, that there can, there can be all those features for, for fans. Right. It's certainly doable. Certainly doable. So the excuse that they can't do it, you don't buy that. And it generally doesn't cost any more. It's just designing it correctly from the beginning. Interesting. Interesting. Conrad, what other, you know, hiring your law firm, I'm sure is a good advice that you would give someone for a fan looking for um, for better access at sports events. What what general tips can you provide fans who are seeking more access at stadiums and facilities? I'd say to make sure to know your rights and things as simple as like going to the ADA website uh, that's run by the DOJ, ADA.gov and getting familiar with what kind of the requirements are. You could also contact a place like the West ADA Center, which is federally funded and is a place where you can call and just ask questions about accessibility, for example. So I think that's another good thing depending on the issues, contacting a place like Disability Rights Washington, uh, because they have a lot of resources and referrals that they can provide, depending on the issues. And do you find that some of the, the uh, universities and, and pro teams can make some some individual adjustments too with, with, with ticket prices and seating? Right, yeah, and some of these things, you know, don't require like that. You still there? Uh, yes. Okay, no problems. But but I lost for a minute. Yeah. So so on a practical level, oftentimes if a if a fan calls in and needs some specific help, they can probably get accommodated a lot of times. That's right. So something else that interests me is that. I've done a little research before your interview. I have, you know, again, some general familiarity with some of these cases, but I know that the Section 504, the 73 Rehabilitation Act can can also protect people from dis discrimination, qualified individuals that have uh, some disability issues. Um, and there's a lot of cases around the country involving high school kids that have some different types of disabilities, learning disabilities, a range of different um, challenges. And it seems like the, the case law is a mixed bag in, in how courts rule on, on these different kinds of cases. But what are, what are some, what's some advice you can give to parents, say, with an ADD kid or a kid with a disability who wants to participate in a sport and is having trouble participating? And that's, that's another thing. It's going to depend on the details of what's going on and, you know, which entity might be the best one to potentially help. I'd say kind of just at a general level, places like Disability Rights Washington, and then there's also uh, local law firms that are involved in education, like uh, Jones and Ibrahim. And so it really just depends on what the issues are. But it's important to, you know, be informed on what your rights are and 
also get a sense for for what resources are out there that you can utilize. Do you find the state washing disability law, the wash law discrimination, do you find that generally gives people more protections than the federal ADA? When it comes to service dogs, yes. But unfortunately, as currently written, that law does not cover accessibility issues. And so none of our cases against sports venues, for example, are ones that we can litigate in state court. And so they all end up in the federal courts at the moment. I didn't know that. Interesting. Interesting. So yeah, so we're working on getting a bill introduced to address that so that we integrate those requirements. So wash law discrimination doesn't cover access to, to facilities? Right, yeah, because there's no accessibility guidelines that are in it. Never knew that. Wow, oh, that's interesting. Um, you're an attorney by training. I've asked this question to a couple other attorneys I've had on. Uh, who is a living attorney that you'd love to interview or spend some time with? And who's a deceased attorney in history you'd love to spend some, you would have loved to spend some time with? Hmm. Uh, well, as far as deceased attorneys go, one that I never met that I would have loved to have met uh, was the late Paul Miller, who was a professor at UW Law and um, was very well known disability rights advocate. Uh, and so I'd say this one deceased individual that, you know, I would have loved to have met. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm thinking of a lot of deceased individuals right now for some reason as far as ones I want to meet. Yeah, Paul, Paul um, Miller was a law professor with, with a disability. I think he... Right. Yeah. yeah, um he had dwarfism. Okay. And 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 how long ago did he pass? That was right before I went to law school. So I think it was like 2010. Okay, okay. He he was pretty well known. I'm I'm sorry about his passing, but I remember reading about him. Yeah. But honestly, it'd be interesting to meet any of the uh judges on or justices on the Supreme Court. Uh, and I've always taken an interest in in kind of the high court and how it applies. And uh, they have an ADA case in front of them right now, actually. Uh, of the nine right, the current Supreme Court justices, if you had to pick one, which one would you find most interesting to spend some time with? Hmm. It's a tough honestly um i think probably the you know the most polarizing one and maybe the most controversial one could be interesting uh i'd say right now since um scalia passed would probably be uh clarence thomas uh, because i think a lot of people have different opinions on him but it'd be be interesting to kind of meet him directly and find out what he's like pick his brain pick his brain a bit uh, I know you're a sports fan, Conrad. This is a question I've asked about every guest the last several years. Uh, who's a living sports figure you'd love to spend time with? And who's a deceased sports figure in history you would have loved to spend time with? Hmm. Let's see. You know, as far as deceased ones go, I think we should go way back in time. Uh, 
I'd say either, well, now I'm thinking of a whole bunch of them, of course, but three of them that I can think of are um, Lombardi and from the NFL side of things, uh, Jackie Robinson and um, Hank Aaron. I'd say those are probably the three uh, deceased ones that I would want to meet. Hmm. Great names have all come up, those three aforementioned. Yeah. Yeah, I'm trying to think as far as current ones who I would want to uh, meet the most. Willie Mays and Sandy Koufax are still with us. Those are two names. Of you know, that is true. I was just looking that up and was uh, pleasantly surprised to see that. So between those two, uh, go with Willie Mays. The amazing guy to spend time with. So with Koufax, great names you brought up. So, you, so the three deceased, kind of a toy coin toss between Lombardi, Aaron, and um, Robinson. And yeah. Of the, of, of the the living sports figure you most likely would want to spend time with would be Willie Mays. I'd say so. Cool, cool. Yeah. Um, who is somebody in the disability community that you would love to spend some time with living or deceased i'll throw out a couple names maybe jim abbott the pitcher for the great he was on my show the baseball pitcher the pitch with with mm -hmm. uh displayed his hand there's uh casey martin we just talked about who's someone in the disability community you'd you'd, you'd enjoy spending time with as either an athlete or an advocate hmm well i will say that um all of the top disability rights advocates i mean are all part of the same community. And so uh, at least as far as living ones go, you know, I've met almost all of them, if not all of the primary ones. Uh, so it'd be a matter of, I guess, maybe getting to know better some of those individuals. And so it's a, it's a wide mix of people. Um, some who I might mention that are like, um, Tim Fox is an attorney who's quadriplegic. Uh, Linda Darvarian uh, is a disability rights attorney that I've worked with, uh, but I haven't had a lot of chance to get to know. Yeah, there's a whole mix, I'd say, um, within that community that you know I'm already in touch with, fortunately. Um, one attorney that you know I knew, but would have loved to have get to know, gotten to know better uh, was John Waldo, uh, who recently passed. And he's in uh, his this captioning is provided. And so he did a lot of work to make sure, for example, that stadiums have open captioning. I read in New York Times there was a there was a famous woman involved in disability rights movement who passed. I may be, I may be mispronouncing her, her last name. Judy Holzman or Holzman? Uh, Judy Human. Human. Okay. Yeah, I never had the pleasure of meeting her, so that's somebody. Yeah, she was pretty well known as a disability rights advocate. And I bet meeting Casey Martin and Jim Abbott would be two interesting people to spend time with, wouldn't they? For sure. Yeah, Jim Abbott's a very nice man. Really, really good. Fun. So, enjoyed spending time with him. 
Um, great. Well, I liked your feedback on some of these uh, some of these figures that you would enjoy spending time with. Um, okay, this is a little bit of a mouthful, but I'm going to read this to you. And I asked uh, Conrad and the listeners, bear with me for a minute, but I want to really get your take on this. So in about 2013, the Office of Civil Rights, U.S., I think the U.S. through the U.S. Department of Education, sent a dear colleague letter to every school in America that receives federal funding from elementary schools through colleges of the legal obligations to provide opportunities for disabled athletes. Some say this is a game changer that can have the same impact for disabled athletes as Title IX did for women's sports. And Section 504 of the 73 Rehabilitation Act states that the rights of disabled athletes are enforceable. It basically gave these universities and schools two options, either allow disability students with disabilities to compete on existing teams or provide an equivalent offering the form of adopted sports, like, like wheelchair basketball. Mm -hmm. um, where are we with this? And that's my first question. It doesn't seem it's been almost about a decade. I don't know what's happened in, with this uh, dear colleague letter that went out. And where are we with this? And can you envision an era where maybe there could be scholarships for men's wheelchair basketball or wheelchair track and hand cycling? So I got a couple of questions for you with that. Um, with that dear colleague letter, it's been, it's been called a game changer for disabled athletes and could it have the same impact as Title IX did for women's sports. Hmm. Uh, well, I will admit that's not something that, you know, I know a lot about specifically with that letter. Uh, but I will say that sports like wheelchair rugby, for example, and powerchair soccer are becoming more of a thing, I would say. And I think as demand and interest goes up, then that will help facilitate this as well. And so I think as more more people with disabilities when they're growing up are encouraged to play these sports and to look at them, you know, as real sports, then that will continue to build and make momentum, I think. You know, it was definitely kind of a very much viewed as just like a small side hobby back when I was younger and something that, you know, you'd play in the backyard but not in front of fans or anything like that. Whereas now for things like wheelchair rugby, you actually get quite a bit of interest. And so I'm hopeful that, you know, those will continue to get popular and even become official sports at universities more. Uh, but I have not seen a lot of that to date yet. It seems literally speaking that if disabled athletes cannot compete in existing sports teams, they need to create um, adopted sports for disability for for students that want to compete. I mean, I, I wonder where that's headed. It seems like a literal legal definition. Colleges and universities and schools, from elementary schools and up, should be doing a lot more, right? Right. Yeah, yeah. I'm just kind of curious to see where this where this is headed, and what's really happened the last decade or so, because that's a pretty strong statement giving these schools two choices, you know, let the, the kids compete or, or provide an equivalent offering in the form of adopted sports. So um, maybe we will have scholarships for disabled athletes one day. What do you think? 
that would be great. And I think that would really kind of help facilitate building some of those sports and making it so that, you know, the schools are actually competing for the best athletes with disabilities. Yeah, there's a lot there. I I know I was reading a little mouthful of of stuff there, but I think it's an important subject of, Mm -hmm. of schools doing more to, to, to create opportunities for people with disabilities that want to compete and play sports. Yeah, just as much as possible, it also needs to be encouraged organically as well. Um, Because unfortunately, we've seen that, you know, the law can be very strong, but, you know, if it uh, doesn't have a lot of enforcement or there's kind of widespread apathy, that it can really be a roadblock. I haven't the same level of experience you've had, Conrad, in these sorts of display rights issues. But I find oftentimes schools will say, we can't. It, it's trying to get them to, yes, we can. It doesn't mean they, they don't always, they don't care that they that they lack caring about for students and their families with disabilities. But they always seem to say frequently that, sorry, we, we can't do it. But no matter, even if the black letter law says they need to do it. Have you found that in your career? Yeah. And often the response has been, you know, just because you haven't done it before doesn't mean that you can't. Right, right. And that there's a big difference between they don't know how to do something or they've never done it before versus it literally can't be done. I've seen it in particular where some students with autism and learning disabilities or when you, when you some of these requests for accommodations are made mm-hmm. schools are not sure how to do it and maybe they want to spend the time working on those issues but anyhow any it's a big i think it goes a long way when you can say you know we might not be able to do that exact thing but here's an alternative right right getting from a to b can be hard in those kind of situations though can it mm-hmm. okay uh i'm going to ask you a question here there was a, a movie that came out speaking about about quad rugby you just mentioned i think a minute ago there's a movie that came out called murder ball in 2005 a documentary about u.s quad rugby did you see that movie what did you think of it and what is your favorite sports movie yes i did see it actually uh back when it first came out and that's a movie that i've had many of our interns for example at my law firm watch uh and i think that's great and it really introduced me to the idea of uh, wheelchair rugby or the sport of it and seeing how it can be just as much of a sport as any other sport. And it's interesting also seeing that, you know, these athletes are just like any other athletes and really train and, and view their craft the same as any other one would. I'd say, go ahead. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. ahead. (laughs) I'd say, as far as um, favorite sports movie goes, though, I'd have to go with Rudy. And I draw a lot of inspiration from that one, and just about, you know, not giving up on what you know is the know is the right thing and what you believe in, and sticking with it regardless of what the result is but you know that there's a lot of dignity in the process i feel 
Rudy's come up before from a couple other guests who've mentioned that as one of their favorite sports movies. Back to Murderball for a minute. You know, one thing, when I saw that movie, I, I think the competitive spirit that you brought up and mm-hmm. the intensity of these athletes and that it, it was really something. And I think you alluded to it, that a, this, a sport among dis, with disabled citizens competing can be just maybe even more competitive than than mainstream, a mainstream sporting competition. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if you substitute out the disability element, it'd be the same as any other sports story you'd hear about like this. Well, Conrad, before we go, can you share? I want to make sure I I didn't miss any important issues. Can you share a little bit more about disability rights and maybe disability issues in sports that you want to share? Maybe something we haven't directly hit on today. Yeah, I guess a few key takeaways uh, are that you know, while there's been a lot of progress over the last several decades in particular, especially as it relates to ADA compliance, there's still much room for improvement. And we need more people aware of these issues and more advocates to work on them. And part of the reward I get out of this is making sports and other opportunities available to everyone. And that it's something tangible that you can really see and benefits the entire community and really sends a message that, you know, everyone has equal dignity and worth and matters the same. And also that, you know, because I've been a sports fan my entire life, I have the opportunity to really see these issues inside and out and be able to make these stadiums more accessible in a way that maybe somebody who's not a fan wouldn't be able to. Good points. You being a passionate sports fan probably helps your analysis of how to improve Mm -hmm. facilities. Right. So I'd say those are a few takeaways. (laughs) Great. Great. Anything else you want to share? Uh, No, nothing other than just, um, Thank you for this opportunity, and I appreciate the chance to uh, help spread awareness about accessibility for fans with disabilities. Very important issue. I'm honored to have you come on and discuss it. What is in the future for Conrad Reynolds? Uh, well, the, the more immediate future is that we have new interns starting. And so soon, early in next year, we'll have uh, four of them actually a new class. At your law firm. And so getting them up to speed and, you know, training them on disability rights and hopefully um, helping to facilitate another generation of disability rights advocates. Important area. Well, Conrad, thank you so much for spending some time and coming on sports, the Sports Untold podcast. Uh, That's definitely you and I stay in touch. Okay. Thank you. Absolutely.